This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, Christ is risen. Thanks be to God. It is a joy-filled day this Easter. We have been journeying as a church for the last 40 days in Lent. And to be honest, uh, Lent is not the most fun season in the life of the church. Uh, Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, a day where we pause and we are reminded that we are a people marked uh, by sin and mortality. And then for 40 days, many of us sacrifice Uh, Some of the things that we love and enjoy, uh, setting aside those joy-filled things to discipline ourselves so that we have said, as we have said throughout this series, we might hopefully be more holy on Easter than we were on Ash Wednesday. And that has been my prayer for all of us throughout this six-week season, that we would be more holy today than we were 40 days prior. And finally, we come to today. Finally, we come to this beautiful Sunday morning where we are reminded of this core truth foundational to our faith, that death cannot hold our Lord, that death is defeated, sin is conquered, and on that Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Y'all can say it with me all morning long, because I'm going to do that, and I'm going to make sure you're awake. Let's try it again. Christ is risen. Christ Christ is is risen risen indeed. indeed. So we're going to begin simply this morning by reading from John chapter 20, uh, this great story of our faith. It is found in your pew Bibles on page 114 of our New Testament. Hear this good news from John's Gospel. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He too saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus 
And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is indeed the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. For the past 40 days, as we have been journeying uh, through Lent, we have been journeying through this lens of the Apostles' Creed. As we've used this traditional claim of faith, uh, we have been asking these two core questions. The first is, what do we believe as Christians? What does it mean for us to be Christ's followers? What does it mean for us to claim Jesus as Savior? And the second is, why does it matter? How are our our lives changed because of the things we proclaim with our lips? Do the things we say actually change our behavior, or are they simply words that we share? And each week we've recited one line from the Apostles' Creed or one section, And today, we come to this last line in the Apostles' Creed. Pastor Angelo this morning suggested that we might have planned it this way. (laughs) But this is the final line in the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to invite you to say it with me this morning as we once again proclaim our faith. It says simply this, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. This creed, which is 2,000 years old, ends with these two simple claims. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. All right, I, I told you I'm going to do this all the time, all morning long. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And so we are reminded that it is this truth, this Easter, that marks us for who we are. We as Christians at our core are an Easter people. While we celebrate Christmas and we are reminded that the God God who loves us came in as a child, it is today that is our holiday. Today is the day that changes how we see our lives. It changes how we see this world. It changes our very nature, our very being, and hopefully our behavior as we live out this truth in our life. We've been using a book throughout this series in many of our small groups and Sunday school classes uh, simply called Creed uh, by Reverend Adam Hamilton. And Adam says this when he's talking about resurrection of the body. He says, it's been said that what you believe about death changes how you face life. It leads us to face death with courage and to take risks we might not otherwise take. It puts this earthly life and what we do with it in perspective. 
And it helps us to grieve as those who have hope. What we believe about death changes how we face life. What we believe about Easter changes how we face life. See, today is a day where we get to claim this radical truth about our faith. It's amazing because for one of those things that is probably hardest to believe is the day where the most amount of people will gather in our churches. Over 2,000 people today will gather on this campus to re-hear this good news. We gather in droves to be reminded that when our Lord Jesus died, death did not have the final word. We gather together to proclaim this truth. What happens on Easter matters. What happens on Easter matters for our lives. It matters for how we see the life to come. It helps us understand death, life, new life, and everything that we know about the kingdom of God. This past Friday, we gathered in this same space uh, for a Good Friday service. And during that Good Friday service, we were reminded about what happened on the cross. This entire sanctuary was draped in black cloth. The cross was covered. The table was draped. And throughout the service, we heard the seven last words of Christ repeated over and again as we reflected on the fact that our Lord died for us on a cross. And after each reflection, we repeated these words together. We said, Lord Jesus, you gave your life for us. You suffered and died that we might be made whole. You suffered and died that we might be made whole. It doesn't take much for us to look around this world and recognize that our world is not whole. Our world is broken. It is lost. It is dark in places where light belongs. And yet the truth of the resurrection reminds us that, that there is a way and a path both in this life and the life to come where we might experience wholeness, not just in the time to come, but right now. See, there are two promises that are made at Easter. The promises that are made at Easter is that on the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and Jesus conquered death. Jesus sets us free from sin, and Jesus sets us free from the bonds of death. It is in resurrection that those two things come true. And when those two things come true, not just in our minds, but in our lives, we can be a force in this world for transformation. Now, one thing I find very interesting about the Gospel of John is Jesus' resurrection is not actually the only one in John's Gospel. There are two times where people are raised from the dead. Earlier in John's gospel, there's another story that is told. In John chapter 11, we hear this story of Lazarus. We learn of another one who has died. This time, one of Jesus' closest friends, the brother of Mary and of Martha. And when Lazarus gets sick, his disciples come for him and says, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is dying. Come quickly. And it takes him four days to get to Mary and Martha. And I want to read this morning from John chapter 11, this story. In John 11, we see Jesus arriving. 
And he encounters Mary and Martha who are weeping because their brother has died. And we see in this moment the compassion of Jesus where it says, Jesus himself began to weep. And then as they come to the tomb where he lay, in verse 38 we hear these words. It says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. But Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. D.A. Carson, who is a professor and theologian of the New Testament, compares these two passages in John's gospel this way. He says, what seems clearest is the contrast with the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus came from the tomb wearing his grave clothes, the additional burial cloth still wrapped around his head. But Jesus' resurrection body apparently passed through his grave clothes, spices and all, in much the same way that he later appeared in a locked room. The description of the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head does not suggest that it still retained the shape of the corpse, but that it had been neatly rolled up and set to one side by the one who no longer had any use for it. The description is powerful and vivid, not the sort of thing that would have been dreamed up. And the fact that two men saw it makes their evidence admissible in a Jewish court. I love this line in Carson's quote where he says that the grave clothes of Jesus were neatly rolled up and set to one side by the one who no longer had any use for it. See, Lazarus comes out still wrapped in his grave clothes as one who will still need them because as we believe, Lazarus died again. Lazarus's wasn't a resurrection. In fact, medically, it was probably more of a resuscitation where he was raised up to simply die again. But we recognize an Easter that the power of the resurrection is the power of one who was raised up and was so set free from sin and death that he no longer needed the cloths that wrapped him. Because he was not returning to the grave. So what does this mean for us? See, we are a people who seek to live lives like Jesus. We are a people who believe that this is not simply a story, but has power to it. We are a people who believe that we are set free from the same sin and death that set Jesus free. That we have that power. But the challenge, I think, for many of us is that we don't live with that belief deeply rooted in how we act and behave. We will leave this place and simply allow that to be a truth we proclaim with our lips, but our lives still reflect a people who are still wrapped with the trappings and the wrappings of grave cloths clothes of sin and death. And so my question for us this morning is a simple one. And it's simply this. 
as we live our lives, are we still allowing sin and death to wrap us up when Jesus promises freedom from both? Are we still allowing sin and death to wrap us up when the promise of resurrection is freedom from both? In Romans chapter 8, this is what Paul writes about resurrection. He says in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then in verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. See, this is the invitation of Easter. The invitation of Easter is to be a people who set aside our sin, who say we too are set free from sin and we can choose a different way of living. We can choose to be a people who set aside the things that wrap us up, things like greed and pride and lust, things like the pursuit of wealth for wealth's sake, things like busyness, sin that leads to brokenness in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our communities. See, the good news of Easter is those things don't have to bind us. They don't have to hold us. They don't have to wrap us up and pull us back into the grave. But the good news of Easter is that Jesus, like he said to Lazarus that day, says, unbind him. Unbind him. We on Easter can be a people who are unbound. And my prayer for us this day is that once Easter is over, once the lilies are taken to homes, once pictures are taken and meals are shared and spring turns to summer and summer to fall and fall to winter, that we continue every day of this year to choose to be a people who set aside our sin, who choose a different way, who choose a new life, who make it part of our rhythms and our behaviors to consistently be a people who fall down at the cross and recognize that we are free. And not only with the words that we say, but with the lives that we live, when people see us, they actually see that this truth is true, that Christ is risen, that Christ is risen. I've tried all morning. Christ is risen. Can today be a day where we turn from the things of our past, where we don't let the things that hold us back hold us back any longer, where we let the hardest things and the challenging things from our life actually be released from us in a way that we might live as people who are made new. My favorite theologian is a man named Frederick Buechner. And every Easter, I close my sermon with a quote from Buechner. It's one that has been uh, so helpful for my own life and my own faith. And when Buechner talks about resurrection, he says this. He says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Resurrection means the worst thing 
is never the last thing. See, God wins. That's the good news of Easter. Jesus wins. Love wins. Joy wins. Hope wins. And no matter what in our past is holding us back from experiencing the fullness of this truth, God says you are free. You are free. You are free to live this full and abundant life that God offers us. And so once again this morning, we say hallelujah. And once again this morning, we say Christ is risen. Christ Christ is is risen risen indeed. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to be close this sermon the same way we have everyone throughout this series. I'm going to invite you to stand as we proclaim together this truth of our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.